What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by my trusty co-host, the world traveler, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Oh, yeah. We back in the we building. What's up? <laughs> How was Yellowstone? It was, it was good. You know, I, I didn't see Kevin Costner. I didn't see the Duttons, but it's a nice stretch of undeveloped land. You know, good time. Well, Dave, uh, I'm sure that it won't stay that way forever. So we'll enjoy it while we can. Favorite it's in the law. It's protected, baby. <laughs> yes, because uh, if we know anything, it's that our laws are unchangeable. Yeah, uh, in true. this country, that's for sure. Dave, what was your favorite wildlife that you saw? Gosh, tough one. Uh, a lot of good stuff out there. Always fun to see animals that you don't see back east uh, in the wild, of course. Um. I really like seeing a lot of the elk I saw. I got two really close encounters with, you know, male bulls with the full rack of antlers. Uh, and that's just really cool because it's like, you know, really hard to see. And yet they weren't as hard to see there. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, if you have traveled to Yellowstone, let Dave know what your favorite part was. But Dave, we have some catching up to do. We did our Kendrick Lamar rankings for our last episode. If people haven't checked that out, please go and debate us in the comments about what mm. Kendrick's ranking should be. But now we have to really get to some things that we miss. And there's so many things we're not going to get to. But one place we have to start this week is with a rock release. The first time since 2013, we get a yeah, yeah, yeah's record. Cool it down. Dropping uh, not this past weekend, the one before September 30th. And, you know, <laughs> As someone that's a big fan of that scene, you know, the 2000s alternative rock scene in New York City. Um, yeah, 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 we're always kind of a band that I was like aware of. But like, I, I feel like I didn't really go that deep into the discography. You know, I, I know the hits, right? I know maps. I know heads will roll. I probably prefer the the remixes to heads will roll. But that's just my own personal preference. Still a great song. So <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't super excited when I was like, oh, the AAS are back after this hiatus. You know, they stopped performing together in 2017. Uh, actually, no, 2014. They came back 2017. Sorry. But Dave, this record fucking rocked. At least I thought so. What did you think? Yeah, no, there was definitely some really cool moments for sure. Uh, it didn't just feel like a generic comeback by any, any stretch. You know, I think, like you said, I think whenever you get any anybody from the 2000s rock scene in New York back in the news with a with a new release, you know, we had a Strokes album what two years ago, like that was obviously of the same vein, and to not have yeah, yeah, yes come back, I feel like they're perhaps like the least populist of that group. You know, you think of like LCD Sound System and the Strokes, and yeah, yeah, yes are a bit off off to the side in the sense that they're a bit more iconoclast, I guess. And because they've been away for so long, except for like one off of like reunion appearances, I haven't really thought about them too much, right? Like you said, Heads Will Roll Remix by A-Track featured prominently in Project X. Huge moment. Great remix. Mm. That's about what I think of first, honestly, <laughs> uh, in terms of recent memory. But yeah, it was pretty cool to hear them come back with their fifth album yeah fifth album like you said first since 2013 which apparently they kind of whipped together in like five months time on top of that too it's kind of 
met back up. They don't all live in New York anymore. Met back up, recorded this. And yeah, I think there was definitely some cool moments. I, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, Karen O hasn't missed a beat to me. Like her vocals are still like so haunting and like really distinctive. But I was just like blown away by how true this felt to them as like a band from the earlier era. You know, you mentioned that this didn't really feel like, you know, a like a older rock band. This kind of felt more just kind of in their wheelhouse. And I think in the first couple of songs, I was just like totally, totally blown away. The first song spitting off the edge of the world uh, with Perfume Genius is this like slow build. And I just like thought that was incredible. Like Karen O's vocals around the chorus are just like mind blowing to me and just grabbed me. But then a few songs later, you get Wolf, right? Which is like it started off kind of corny, right? Because it's like I was hungry, like a wolf kind of thing kind of going <laughs> right. on. And then it gets to the part where the synths come up, come in, and yeah. I was just like, oh, let's go! Like this feels like classic yeah, 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 right here. And it was just really, really awesome. Had me. Basically had me from there to the end of the album. What about you, though? Yeah, I really enjoyed Wolf. It has this like really big like orchestral moment, and then the tempo just like skyrockets. And it's like, mm. wow, yeah, this is really cool. And then I think the, the song immediately after that, Fleas, yeah. I also enjoyed quite a bit just because of the drum work on mm. there. Uh, I like the uh, the closer Mars as well. Uh, but like like you said, I think Karen O has like she has a trademark unique. Uh, vocal delivery and sound to her 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 singing so when the songs pick up you know throughout the track list like she's then able to like kind of elevate those tracks on top of that because she's a really strong performer yeah she's an incredibly strong performer and i just really love her aesthetic and like if you read meet me in the bathroom there's so many like cool stories about her she's just a Mm. like a really cool character in rock nice to have her back hope Hope if they don't continue making albums together as frequently that she's just kind of around doing stuff like doing yeah. guest vocal features. Um, I'd really love to see her like jump on some of these uh, EDM albums that we talk about, you know, like Swedish House Mafia and her together. I feel like yeah. could make some really cool shit. Avalanches. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, Avalanches would just be incredible. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, just great to have AAS back. And this was way above what I expected. So good. Shit. Right. And you mentioned the Lizzie Goldman book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. That has now become a documentary film as well, following yes. the book. And I believe that is slowly releasing this fall. So if you're interested in that, the, the like reporting, basically, and storytelling of that 2000s rock scene in New York in its heyday, specifically featuring around like Strokes, Interpol, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, LCD, watch that doc, read that book, because there's a lot of talk about that lately, of course. We're going to put a song from the AAES onto our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist. But Dave, let's move on to another artist that I think we both really like and have a history with. And that's Kid Cudi, who dropped his newest album, Enter Galactic, this past weekend, along with a, an animated m- movie on um, Netflix. And our guy Cudi, I mean... <laughs> He, he's he been back for a while now, but I think really like hitting his stride as an older artist, it seems, you know, Man on the Moon 3, I think we were really impressed with and really liked. Um, we get Enter Galactic as the follow up here, and it's mm-hmm. like he seems to be kind of 
finding his stride and for someone who i feel like his songs were so specific to like a certain like age in my life you know they were very like 18 to 22 in my mind like this kind of like <laughs> stay or maybe even like earlier like high school like type mm-hmm. of age i feel like it was going to be hard for him to kind of move into this stage but i feel like he's kind of done it pretty well how did you feel about intergalactic as like a entrance into his album discography right and yeah so this is notably cuddy's eighth album and it's been less than two years since man of the moon 3 came out into 2020 but i believe he actually recorded this before man of the moon 3 came out but of course intergalactic is also like the soundtrack to his netflix film animated netflix film that just released alongside the album and that's kind of how i've been thinking about it where cuddy has been acting for quite some time uh, himself, but has really also been in the mix as a producer. And it seems like he's finding fulfillment in addition to being a musician uh, these days, which is great because I think, you know, he, he's kind of openly talked about like, my name's Kid Cuddy. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be a 50 year old rapper, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of fun to hear him uh, say it that way. But uh, I don't necessarily have any problem with that because it definitely sounds like he's just kind of, tweaking his interests and to find uh, new inspiration and ma- basically making a full-on concept album mm-hmm. this late into his career after closing the book on Man and the Moon. Pretty cool. Um, I just appreciate that, that that effort at a tie-in. And, you know, I think the, the lower stakes of this, like, concept album, because it's, like, not really about him, you know, it's about, like, the character in the in the movie, right? Like, <laughs> it's uh, all hypothetical. It's all storytelling. Like I think his, his lyricism, his songwriting actually like is stronger because of that reason. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever really, we never really say Cuddy is like a, a master writer or anything. No one really say that he's a vibe guy. He's an emotion guy, right? Insert Cuddy hum here. Like, you know, the feeling you get from his music and, I think he actually did a really good job of kind of putting that cutty appeal into like a like a framework that's more defined the way Intergalactic is through that prism of it being a soundtrack to a brand new movie. Yeah, I I think that that's the right way to look at this because I think as I was listening through the 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 dings I would have the takeaways that weren't so good for me were a lot of me getting to like the middle of the album towards the end where it all starts to kind of feel a little bit samey. The beats really weren't like divert, like that diverse from each mm-hmm. other. And I was starting to kind of feel like this album was becoming a little sleepy for me. But when you think about it in terms of this, uh, like visual concept album, I do think it makes a lot of sense. I think the visuals uh, that I have seen, I didn't watch the full thing, but I saw a couple of clips uh, I think it all looks really cool. Um, you can see it on my background if you're watching on YouTube. Um, and uh, I think there's enough songs on here for me to walk away and be like, Cuddy, Cuddy did a really nice job with this. And I, and like I said, I think he sounds super confident with where he's at right now. And it's it's never fair to like compare people per se. But you think about one of his peers, Kanye, and just like <laughs> the, the directions that they have we're going in and where they are at now like Cuddy has like established himself and similar to Jay-Z have really like found their stride in this next phase of their career whereas other 
other of his peers aren't doing that so well. So I'm I'm just impressed with where he's at. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. What was the music on here? What were the songs that really stood out to you? Right, and I think ultimately, like I'm always like, well, it's about the records, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's about what we actually get that we care about here. And uh, to me, like the TV special slash movie, that's like bonus material to me. Like, right, I care about the music first, and yeah, like I, I nothing, nothing holds a candle to his classic work of the past. But again, oh, yeah. we shouldn't be expecting to hear that either. Uh, that being said. There were some moments I enjoyed. I thought just kind of like more high level speak, high level speaking, new mode right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the melody from Cuddy on that. Um, and there's a few songs like that where it's like, yeah, it's kind of vibey. It's almost kind of like sparse. Like the verses aren't really that like thick at all. But Cuddy's able to kind of fill out the song with his presence in the way he can. So I thought I thought only new mode, I think is a good example of that. But then um right after that, do what I want, his delivery yeah. on that rapping wise, definitely more of a throwback vibe. Definitely reminds mm-hmm. me of some of the best work of his past. Now, lyrically again, not the strongest, you know, I think someone like Little Uzi Vert's probably a little better served to do the now I do what I want uh type thing with minimal minimal lyricism. But again, like I think the Cuddy's performance really Stood out there. Can't believe it with two chains as well. I've really enjoyed Cuddy's rapping on that. Reminds me of the past. Um, there's other songs here and there that are, I think, nice, nice flourishes. Like there's some songs I forget the names of, I forget which ones they are, but like there's sometimes where Cuddy's vocals, he's almost like ad libbing himself in a way of like responding to himself as if it was a separate voice. Like that, I thought those kind of touches were pretty cool. Probably fit in nicely with the TV special in that way. Uh, yeah, I, I think. You know, yeah, playing Pat, not the genius. Like like you said, none of the production really stands out. It's certainly nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really up to Cuddy, I think, on the songs to fill out those songs and, like, make them feel whole. And sometimes, again, like I said, the verses are a bit thin, so it's like the song is just a bit bit blah or a bit under undercooked. But sometimes he can really deliver those vibes that you want from Cuddy. Yeah, you hit on the main ones. I think Do What I Want really stood out for that delivery like you talked about. Kind of reminds me of like, I think it's at the end of, is it at the end of Mr. Rager? There's another, maybe another song where he kind of, uh, no, I I can't remember which song it is I'm thinking of, but he has this one old song that I can distinctly remember the outgoing verse and it just reminds me of that so much. So definitely that throwback vibe you talked about. Living My Truth is kind of similar to that in that vein where I think it's like, just this beat that he rides so well and it feels like a classic kind of cutty song. Um, yeah, two chains. Anytime you get him on, on a song, he just elevates it. And I, I really loved that one too. Can't believe it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think overall just a really nice record from him. It's not going to be anyone's top four or five and we'll probably do a cutty rankings at some point. So that'll be fun <laughs> to talk about, revisit this, but um yeah, I, I just was happy to see this from him. And like I said, especially given some of the other people uh, in the news right now and some of the music we've gotten from his peers, it's nice to see him just kind of thriving. So ha- happy for Cuddy for sure. But why don't we move on to another elder statesman of rap who dropped a record that we needed to get to. And that's Freddie Gibbs. Soul sold separately. Dave, I mean, Freddie Gibbs, when you think about him in, in terms of rap today, how do you view him? 
one of, if not the best rappers over 40, right? He's one of the best OGs, and he has had arguably the most unconventional path to that status. Mm-hmm. And this is being billed as Freddie Gibbs' major label debut, which is <laughs> hilarious to me because he's previously been signed and through collaboration work with Madlib has released major label records. But this is technically Gibbs' proper solo rapping debut on a major technically whatever <laughs> but yeah i think uh gibbs has obviously been on a huge heater for the past several years in like the know, third act of his career really he's had many starts and stops in terms of finding success as a rapper and now he's at the point where he can make a gibbs album with an expensive beat budget and lots of A-list features. Like th- that's the Gibbs album we just got. So I'm just really happy for him to be that he's now at this point where he could do what he just did. Yeah, and you talked about how he's, you know, one of the OGs, the best over 40. I think just maybe like pound for pound putting out some of the best most interesting competent records in the game. You know, no, don't even need to really qualify it in a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And I think he just kind of continues that streak on Souls Sold Separately. You know, out of his last three releases, Pinata, Alfredo, and this, I'd probably say it's my third favorite. But, I mean, like, you put those three up against any other rappers, like, last three, even someone like Kendrick, and you're probably like, well, you know, I might take those three over some of the three from everybody yeah, else. Yeah. So, um, pretty impressive stuff. And I think this starts off right off the bat. Like, couldn't be done with Kelly Price just straight banger to like start this record off and i was like okay we're off we're, we're, we're back in the freddie gibbs world and just sounds immaculate sound has that like classic vibe to it really loved that that track um what, what was the was that did that song kind of pull you in or was there a different one that really got you yeah totally i think um just generally like freddie he's a really really strong uh storyteller you know so that like any song he's on, he just has like immediate like presence and gravity on the mic. And when you have like, uh, you know, the soul sample yeah. uh, right off the bat on couldn't be done. And this beat where like the drum hits like four times right in a row, <laughs> it's like just pumps you the fuck up. And then you actually have Clay Price vocals yeah. coming in later. Like, yeah, I thought that was an amazing start. Yeah. And then riding over that that piano, it's just like it keeps the energy up the entire time. Just really great. Um, Blackest in the Room, the next one I really liked too. I feel like it just is like it, it's it, the cut. The pictures that we both have are him just like sitting at this piano in this immaculate like silk suit and just looking great. And this is kind of what I imagine is him just like sitting in like one of these like amazing like ballrooms, like sipping on whiskey and like rapping this. Like he's just sounds fucking awesome in this. Um, what other songs stood out to you before I, I take them all? Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Um, I really did enjoy hearing Gold Rings, Gibbs mm. going bar for bar with Pusha T, yeah. his fellow killing it in his 40s rapper. God, man, we say this all the time whenever Pusha drops music, drops features, whatever it is. But he just continues to find new ways to say what he's always been saying. I thought this was like, these are some of his best lines. Like, (laughs) my cocaine novella soap opera shit. These are the days of our pies. Like, Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ, Pusha T. 
Like never, <laughs> never change, never stop, man. It's the best. It's, a, it's amazing to have Rick Ross and Pusha T just doing oh like the God. all-time best, just like drop in, give a verse, and like dominate a song on the totally. same record. Incredible. Ross, another one who's just aged so gracefully, aged like fine wine as he's found greater success and interest outside of hip-hop, but he's not fallen off really in any way as a rapper whenever you do hear him. He was great, too, on Lobster Omelette. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous name, dude. <laughs> totally. Um yeah, I think Grandma Stove towards the end there, Music Soul Child, really great storytelling from Freddie there. Um, man, I think what's really cool about Soul Sold Separately is that it's Freddie kind of bringing what he has been doing and having other producers uh, fill that in for him. Because, of course, his like latest arc of his career and like the critical like leveling up as he's grown more popular and more accepted he's been doing lots of collaborative albums, right? Last album, Alfredo, All Made by the Alchemist, and of course, famously, Pinata and Bandana from Mad Lib, and then even um, uh, the Freddie album by Kenny Beats. Now he has an album where most of those guys are back, but they're only doing one or two songs, right? And you're getting all these people uh, kind of dropping in on you. And I love hearing a song like Rabbit Vision, where it's like an amazing Freddie performance. And then you just have like the Justice League, like dropping their keys the way they always do. Just like A-list, you know, producers doing what they do. Uh, D, uh, DJ uh, Paul on uh, PYS yeah. as well. Same kind of thing. Um, I, I really appreciate just hearing kind of everyone, all these A-list producers kind of like coming to, to work with Freddie. And like, it still feels like a Freddie record first, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, just in the second half of the album, I really like uh, Dark Hearted. Um, I just feel like the way he go like raps in this, he's like rapping so fast and with so much energy and like he, just so much control. It's really impressive, uh, really technical song. What did you think of uh, Feel No Pain with uh, Hawk and Raekwon? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I thought Anderson sounded good. And yeah, I mean, it's always nice to hear the chef, another person who's aged age gracefully always dropping good features uh yeah that, that was pretty good uh the only feature i thought was kind of weird on this honestly was offset with uh pain and strife track three just because i thought offset like the, the delivery he was doing almost reminded me of like little wayne i was like this doesn't really sound like offset like it sounded kind of kind of off to me uh no pun intended <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah i liked anderson pack i liked uh, raekwon for sure yeah that you know it's funny i, I agree with the offset um i think he, he was almost like too auto-tuned or something i'm not really sure but yeah the the pock song was was interesting because as i was listening through i wasn't i didn't see that it was coming up and then i was like is this anderson pock and then i was kind of like oh well you know when you get rick ross two songs before and then push it a few songs later it's kind of forgettable in a sense but i think on a lot of <laughs> other records it would have been a standout so um mm -hmm. yeah i mean that this this record ruled like freddie gibbs just putting out quality shit after quality shit it's, it's incredible so yeah totally uh you'd have to imagine after getting a grammy nomination for best rap album the last time around he's probably a contender to do that once again uh and that would be at the grammys oh no, shit that'd be two grammys from now he has missed the cutoff so we'll see um how do you like the uh like celebrity like cameos you have like kevin durant and Joe Rogan and that to me my favorite one was Jeff Ross. I thought he was just quite funny. But like the concept of like Freddie being like in Las Vegas finishing this album and having these people mm -hmm. like checking in to motivate him or telling them to come hang out or telling them to get his shit together, whatever it was. But it was like all these like 
cameos. Like, how'd you, what would you feel about that? Usually they were outros on songs. I really like Jeff Ross. Um, that one really stood out to me, really made me laugh. To be honest, the rest of them pretty forgettable. Um, yeah. Also, Kevin Durant, man, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to shut up and dribble at all, but, like, I just want to see you, like, you know, really crush it with Brooklyn. Like, I just really want to see you, like, really focused this season so. well it, it was the cl- cl- the shortest cameo of the law it was, like, it was yo gibbs it's kd what's good or whatever that was <laughs> yeah. it you know so probably didn't get in the way but yeah. jeff ross like calling freddie a rabbit fucker or whatever the fuck it was like <laughs> super funny saying he wanted to get him on to uh, warm up for ti i was dying laughing that <laughs> really good stuff um yeah check out uh sold sold soul sold separately um highly recommend it we're gonna put a song or two on our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist let's move on though to stray kids a k-pop group that just seems to be fucking dominating the charts man i mean like these guys this is their second record this year with maxident and uh they just seem to not be able to miss right now right yeah second release this year to go number one accidents on track to go number one with around a hundred thousand units definitely uh awesome to see big success in the west which would make sense because jyp entertainment has a distribution deal with republic records that has been extended to stray kids and itsy so it makes sense that we're seeing as we've been talking about ad nauseum more and more k-pop acts finding acceptance and then in fact success in the western market and Stray Kids have been kind of rapidly rising. You know, I think for me, I hadn't been thinking about them all too much until we heard uh, Felix, one of the eight Stray Kids members. We heard Felix on his label mate Nyon's solo debut album earlier this summer on that song, No Problem. I thought he was an awesome compliment on that song. And I really like that track in general. And I was like, you know what? I need to pay more attention to Stray Kids because I'm just sleeping because <laughs> they're really popular. <laughs> Do you feel like Maxident kind of showed you why they're so popular? Yeah, you know, I think that's a good question. It's an it's an EP. It's their it's their ninth EP slash mini <laughs> album. They've only been around since 2018, but that's nine EPs and two full length albums. A lot of music, and this one is interesting. We kind of talked about this recently with Blackpink, where like short release, right? And then a bunch of these tracks, it's only some of them, some of the group, some of the members. They're not all full Stray Kids tracks, so. That being said, I think there is a fair amount of that variety, that genre flipping, that switching up that we talked about recently with NCT 127. And I thought that was, that was, that was cool to hear. Um, they are pretty hip-hop heavy, mm-hmm. and I do like that about them. And I think some of those moments are really strong. Uh, you know, Production-wise, I don't know if anything really wowed me per se on this one, but I definitely get it, and I'm looking forward to hearing more for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, of genre hopping, and they really span from like really going for rock on something on like three racha, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I guess that's the song that was that. The, is that the song I'm thinking of? Or was super bored? Now I'm forgetting. No, I don't think it was three racha. Three racha is more of like a three racha is pretty hard, but that's almost like a uh, like a drill drill song specifically in terms of rapping. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. But um. There was guitar popping up on this on him. I think it was uh, Give Me Your TMI. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. That was the one yeah. I was thinking of. Um, and, but th- that one is almost like too poppy 
to be rock, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and that's the thing is I feel like they never quite go that far, but there's some really like hard, like banging, like thumping production on this, which I think makes it feel a little bit harder than it actually comes across yeah. um, a lot of the time. Cause like some of these, these hooks are in some of the songs. I was a little bit like, huh, this feels almost like a little like childish at times, like w- with circus, you know, it kind of has that, like, that, 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 that. I think they actually like mimic that at one point, or on <laughs> it one makes of them. Makes sense per the name. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. One of them. I might have been the first one. They actually like did like these other like noises that were like woo or like so. I was like, oh, this just feels young. And I think that's what I came away with is these guys feel like they're aiming towards like a younger fan, which yeah. makes a lot of sense for these groups. But I just I I wasn't super like drawn in by it. Right. Yeah. Those straight kids. They're still kids at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, Case 143, the first song, the title track, the single, etc. I think it's pretty catchy, and it starts off, like, really hot with the rapping, but because they, like, genre mash, they kind of, like, switch up some of these songs, where it's, like, this is, like, hard hip-hop and the one one sense, and then it's, like, immediately become, like, completely different pop, and as you said, almost more of a, like, younger-leaning pop, you know, I think of... uh like NCT Dream comes to mind as like a younger guys trying to make younger like teen music, you know. And I think Stray Kids they seem to be really popular because because of that genre mash, right? And like we talk, we've talked about the genre mash a lot, and I think that's what's really commendable. But a lot of like the the release we're getting these days, right? It's like um, I mentioned NCT One Two Seven, but what about like ATs, right? Like that that record this year was all over the place in like this super maximalist way, and I guess. Stray Kids on Maxident are trying to go for that. I just don't know if it's they don't quite commit to it as much as I would like. And it's it's an EP. It's a mini album. There's only so much right. time, right? Um, I think to me, probably Three Racha stood out as my favorite track because that yeah. is just three three of the members on there, the guys who do most of the producing. And to actually do like drill hip hop from on the K-pop side of things is pretty revelatory just because you're not really hearing drill from the k-pop people right um and i mean it was pretty hard i have to give it to him like like i think in general like the bar for for rapping in k-pop these days has been raised like like it's not nearly as corny as it used to be so that definitely counts for something no i I agree three racho was a clear standout the one i was thinking of was can't stop um as Mm. like the rock one um so yeah i agree like that and give me your tmi like they're so close to being like this like real rock sound but they kind of cut it with this pop infused like energy um yeah you know i I, like you said this is a ep they're not gonna be able to flesh out all their everything that they want to do perfectly on it and that's okay they're still like a fairly young group like you mentioned only formed i think three or four years ago so a, a lot of growth for them I, I think more than anything, the fact that they can be putting out stuff that I think is very clearly not their best stuff and still like getting number one in the charts is like they're going to be, you know, uh, in, in contention for most popular K-pop group beyond BTS and Blackpink. So pretty, uh, pretty good place to be for sure. Um, any last thoughts? You ready to move on? Yeah, no, sounds good. Let's keep it moving. And we're going to stay with someone who's a little bit more rock than them, Dave. And she's just using this as a coping mechanism. That's Willow. With the album Coping Mechanism. Uh, Willow, when you think about her as an artist, what what comes to mind? Caught a vibe. Once again, baby. 
We're waiting a minute. We're whipping our hair back and forth. Our souls are transparent. Willow Smith back in the news. Only a year since the last record. Shout out Willow getting to work. I love it. Uh, yeah, I think what I think of these days, you know, separating her from her, her, her famous lineage, of course, uh, she clearly has her own identity, her own career as herself, which is awesome. I think of how, like, kind of uncannily she's become this really popular figure from, like, Gen Z artists, you know? Like, she has a lot of TikTok hits in particular, like, Wait a Minute, Wait a Minute, and, um, this, the, forget the song, the one where Cloud of Vibes from, like, those are songs yeah, that, like, were, spot. yeah, those are, like, those are, those are slow burns. Those are, like, mm-hmm. TikTok discoveries, right? Like, Wait a Minute, that, that record from several years ago was not super well-liked, and yet, now it's approaching like 800 million streams and it's like really lasted. And I think it's cool that Willow is finding ways to just do the sake of her music. She's like genuinely like getting to that point. She's not really like trying to make like viral songs and yet Transparent Soul last year took off on TikTok anyway, you know? Yeah. And I think Willow is one of the most genuine and successful of like pop artists these days that is doing rock music we've talked about this a lot with rock becoming much more popular in the mainstream and we're seeing artists dabble in that fully transition to that right olivia rodrigo machine gun kelly halsey the list uh demi lovato just last month uh, two months ago the list goes on but willow comes across as super genuine and i think it's just because she's doing it really well and that continues on coping mechanism yeah, I, I think she's really found a lane for herself that she feels super comfortable in. The reason I asked what your initial thoughts of her were is because it, it was almost hard for me to listen to this record without being like, oh, the, the, I, I can hear where, where this like TikTok moment's going to come from this song. You know, like <laughs> it almost feels like and I think she has a real knack for it, but it almost feels like she almost frames these songs in a way where she's definitely has an idea for the song, but she tries to find these really like catchy like moments that really stand out you know something like mm-hmm. on the second track falling endlessly like the chorus there just feels like it's so prime for like a tiktok like i don't know trend where like girls are just like singing along to it and like maybe like doing like a change of like clothes or something like i could just like mm-hmm. see all this stuff start happening. the trend baby get your credit <laughs> yeah i should be the transition first one to do it. Uh, if anyone that follows my TikTok knows I, I post all the time, so uh, I'll definitely catch on quickly. It, but yeah, it, I think what I, I kind of came away with is like this: this is a genre that works for her. She has a knack for these songs, and she keeps it fucking moving, which I really appreciate. Yeah. These songs are quick. She's in, she's out. You have a couple cool moments. Doesn't stay overstay its welcome. And I was like, oh, I enjoyed that. So I, I, I left feeling very satisfied with coping mechanism i think yeah totally i don't think it really changed my opinion uh any more than just hearing last year's lately i feel everything like these two records very much feel of a piece released a year apart from each other and uh she's just like you said i think keeping it moving the reason i think a lot of these songs just kind of naturally seem to find that viral success is the songs are just kind of tight tightly written right there's yeah. tight hooks on these the good the guitar loops whatever it is that the, these are tight three minute tracks and you, she's just they're just really well done 
and the, the you're just people are uh, clearly appreciating that as well and finding catchy moments themselves and thus songs blow up and cool good for her right um i think there were some moments though that stood out within the the span of the record obviously it's a rock record but sometimes the guitars stand out more than others i thought right off the bat maybe it's my fault i really enjoy the guitars on that and then i think my favorite song would be uh hover like a mm. goddess i think willow's performance on that is very impressive and his mix is really nice with this up-tempo song really engaging drums and guitars i thought that one was the best of the group but cool to hear uh eve's two more as a yes. feature right very uh, cool I, I really love that song yeah. uh perfectly not close to me i thought that was really cool and and definitely the hardest song she had on this you know going back to hover like a goddess the guitars on that really reminded me of like the strokes or the bravery like it was a little more up tempo but is she really like I, I agree her performance on that is really great um i thought that one was great i liked curious furious i thought that one was a pretty cool song and like uh, that that's another song that like you better open wide like you're gonna you're gonna be hearing that on tiktok very soon i bet um and yeah i, I thought the, the title track was also a pretty good song um i don't know just like real like whirring guitars on that like she was really going for the punk in that i i appreciated that and i agree like she's she's got she keeps these songs written really really tightly um she's a well-oiled machine at this point and it's it's funny because like you mentioned her famous family but i really think she ha- uh, has really made a lot of headway and carving her own lane whereas i don't really see her brother in the same way i think she's a level above him at this point oh no so. question sorry Jaden. <laughs> yeah so it's it's just like cool to see her in this lane also she looks great, great with the shaved head i, I love oh. the look for her so yeah she she's really blossomed after really becoming public at like 10 years old 11 years mm-hmm. old whatever how she was super young when my hair started you know i know and she's had many musical uh identities and sounds of course as she went through her teenage years and uh seems to have really found what's working right now so good for her absolutely well we're gonna be adding a song from willow to our playlist but we're wrapping up music today in the only place that's appropriate to wrap up with dave's guy charlie <laughs> Dave, on a scale of 1 to 10, would you say you're a 100 on the Charlie Puth fan scale? Well, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm a 100, but definitely a huge fan of Charlie Puth, specifically a huge fan of that second album, the until recently most recent Charlie Puth album, and that would be Voice Notes from early 2018. I just thought he really leveled up, and to me, that's my favorite like pure pop album from a male vocalist in recent memory like i think i think there's just some fucking joints on that one man like he 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 always had the talent and songwriting ability you know originally started career as a writer people know the story but like after initially bombing with the debut album nine track mind to like completely change the narrative with voice notes like there's songs on that like like five six songs i still love from that album and I think since then, of course, he's gotten even more famous. Like he's clearly as popular as he's ever been. Oh yeah. And a big a big part of that is just kinda imbuing his personality into TikTok by showing yeah. his creative process as a songwriter who's clearly very talented and very thoughtful, but also as a 
classically trained music producer as well of course going to you know berkeley school of music for like music production like he's really well trained and like he just has a knack for showing that right so the anticipation for the third charlie puth album as the wait stretched on past four years for me was quite high and i think it was quite high for a lot of people just because he had recently given us some like great tracks and now he had just been teasing everyone with songs that sounded pretty cool in their unfinished forms on tiktok so i had a lot of anticipation for this third album charlie and did it live up to your expectations dave that's my question yeah that's a great question uh to be to be frank i don't like this as much as voice notes it's different than voice notes and i think even like mild disappointment from charlie puth similar to the rena sawayama album we just got where like when the bar is so high and the talent is so evident and like the goals of the music is at a pretty high level like there's still lots of things you appreciate and admire and take away from albums that don't fully like satisfy you and that's how i feel about charlie where like i think just the production style and to his credit he produced this all by himself this time around awesome to see um, someone signed to a major album, ma- major record label, like he is on Atlantic, to see someone like have that much control over their career <laughs> in, in their prime this way and just be like, no, nah, I'm just going to do this myself. And really cool. But the thing that like kind of irks me about it is like he he has tuned up his vocals pretty consistently on Charlie. And not that he hasn't done that in the past, but on voice notes he just felt sounded so much more timeless to me and like, like Poots a corny dude, right? Like he, he mm-hmm. always has been, he's a theater kid, but like he had some like sexy ass fucking songs on voice notes, man. I don't know if I quite hear that the same way on this. Like, I don't want to, I'm not as interested in Charlie Puth telling me why he's a sad boy right now. Cause some girl <laughs> broke his heart. Like I don't really care about that as much. Like I just really like him doing melodic math because he's a fucking amazing songwriter you know and yeah so i say i have mixed feelings on this there's some songs <laughs> i i do dig but um as a big charlie fan it's like ah i wish he just did more of the other thing <laughs> yeah he has a song on this called when you're sad i'm sad and uh listening to this album he oh. was sad and he made me sad so um you know i i really didn't like this very much um i'd say there's probably two or three songs that i thought were pretty good the clear standout is the one we've heard the longest, which is light switch. Like that song is just like such a shot of like bubblegum pop adrenaline in this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned a lot, a lot of the rest of it is him kind of talking about this loss and how he sees himself from it, how he's coping. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't come to Charlie Puth to like come and get in my feelings. Like I have uh, Christine and the Queens for that. If I need, I have Adele for that. I don't come to Charlie for that. I want to hear the bops, and there weren't many on this. I know, man. There's so many bops on voice notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think what's what's a bit disappointing too. Like to me, like I don't even like like Light Switch that much. It's like really tightly made, and that was a song he teased extensively on yeah. TikTok before he officially released it. And it's kind of the sequel to the first time he did that with a song he didn't officially release, which would be the song, you know, in quotes called me and you, which you listen to, like it been, it's been pieced together on YouTube through all his TikToks, and people have basically made the song themselves. That one is like super catchy and super cool. And he just never put it out and didn't make this record. But like, yeah, light switch is like 
yeah, it's pretty good. And like left and right with Jungkook from BTS, like yeah, it's pretty good. And like if you have like spatial uh headphones on, you can hear the directional audio of the left and the right. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. But like and like I think Charlie Puth is so talented that like he can like kind of like crap out like uninteresting songs that also happen to be still like really tightly made and like tightly written that i was like man i was like you know what i was like it's still pretty good that's still like a seven because like your worst work is usually like a seven but like i'm not listening to you hear sevens i want to hear the nines you know and for me i think the one moment where i was like oh this is actually like super brilliant from charlie which would be i believe it's the most recent single there's like six singles now i think which would be track two charlie be quiet yeah, I think that one, that one rocks like straight up. I and like Charlie as the producer really shines on that, right? Where he uh, does all these key changes as a performer, and he really switches up uh, the sonics, right? Like when the chorus comes in, it's like super distorted and like really cool. But then when you get to like the full on verses after the chorus, they're like super catchy because Shocker Charlie Puth can really write and. I think that's a song that's like super interesting and much more interesting than really anything else uh, on on the record. And I was really running that one back a lot after really digging into it this this weekend when I heard the full album. Yeah, that song "Charlie Be Quiet." The production around the chorus is great, um, it, and sometimes his voice uh, gets toned down to like Brandon Urie's like level, mm-hmm. you know, from Panic at the Disco, which I think is pretty cool. Um, his vocals are definitely pretty malleable all over this record. Um, another song I, I liked, and it gave me like real like 2010s like pop like soft rock vibes. Was I don't think that I like her. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it might have been the wah, wah, wah at the beginning. I don't know if that's a synth or if that's like some guitar distortion. But I also the chorus is so like I don't know early like. Panic at the Disco, maybe still. I don't know. I guess I was getting heavy, like, like soft yeah, Panic sure. at the Disco vibes <laughs> on this. But yeah, that was th- those were the three songs that I really liked off this. The rest, I was like, man, even the one where, where you get the BTS uh, member uh, Young Kook on here, I was like, man, are we get are we gonna get like a BTS pop here? No, we get a another sad song. So <laughs> yeah, where we're at with our guy. Yeah, I mean, shout out Young Kook though. Like <laughs> left and right is now the uh fastest song featuring a k-pop soloist to get to 300 million streams it's like whoop de doo but bts army will love anything i think <laughs> yeah like there's a lot of production i i appreciate like on loser i love the drums on uh marks on my neck i like the way the drum hits on that you know tears on my piano the bass and the kick drum sounds good like it's really well produced i just don't like the choices with the vocals for the most part and is just a bit distracting or like kind of like numbs the edges of like his good writing. Like the writing is usually pretty good. And even like the lyrics sometimes can be a bit up and down. Like the song construction is always like really tight just because that's how talented he is. And I just hope the next one isn't four, four years later, you know? <laughs> well, uh, hopefully we get something a little more upbeat soon, but that's, that's going to do it for us for music today. So again, check out our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist on spotify uh dave let's talk some stand-up here real quick we have some some big hitters that drop specials to get to we're gonna start with nick kroll 
who we just talked about in uh, Don't Worry Darling a few weeks back. Check out our Don't Worry Darling review if you haven't listened to that. But, I mean, Nick Kroll, I feel like I really became aware of him with the league, right? Back when we were, like, just out of college, the league based on fantasy football. Pretty funny show. FX Uh, comedy series. Flamed out pretty quickly. But really, he stood out um, just as... Ruxin. Yeah, ridiculous character, Ruxin. And then you start seeing him everywhere, obviously. I think Big Mouth is how a lot of people know him now. But he's just been in a lot of things, I would say, right? Oh, yeah. But he'd, he'd been on TV, working in and around TV and, and film for a long time. Like, uh, like you know, even before the Kroll show, like he had been around just as like an actor, basically, comedian, comedic actor. And Little Big Boy, this is Nick's first Netflix special, but only his second special the other one was on comedy central way back in i think it was 2011 yeah thank you very cool it's been a long time and that's because i don't really think of nick kroll as like a stand-up per se i just kind of think of him as a funny funny actor so to hear i think nick nick kroll now bring you like a the first special he's made after finding all this success right as the, the one of the creators of big mouth where he's gotten tons of accolades now what's he want to do? And this special was supposed to come out in 2020 because he had started touring this material back in 2019. So we obviously now heard a different version of this once he finally had a chance to uh, record this. But yeah, I, I definitely was was interested to hear, like, oh, well, what's a Nick Kroll special like these days? Because he's definitely, um, you know, more or less at, at his career peak, you know, as Big Mouth is about to have a new season come out. Uh, you know, after listening to this, it was hard for me to not just be like, oh, I feel like we just watched an episode of Big Mouth like live, <laughs> you know, like a live version of Big Mouth, because even his like it, one of his running gags through this is how um, his like inner monologue is uh, Jason. Oh, Statham. Yeah, Jason Statham. Thank you. And he, when he was doing the voice, I was like, is this just the puberty monster right now? Like, is this like. Uh-huh. Because it sounded just like who I think is actually done by Will Arnett, but I was like, this is pretty close. And then I was like questioning is Will Arnett actually the voice of Puberty Monster? It was like a whole thing. But like he would also like when he was talking about like older stories, he would like talk about this like girl who pulled his pants down and like pants him and his pants came all the way down and like how it was traumatizing for him. But when he did her voice, he was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, wait, that's just like the annoying girl from Big Mouth right there. And it was like hard for me to almost like separate that he is just like this separate person who's not just that show. Because I think the show feels like such a him and Mulaney creation in so many ways. And and it is, obviously, but like it just feels like them. And so the, the stand up was pretty hit or miss for me at times. But I, I definitely found it to be an entertaining hour for sure. Yeah, totally. I think it largely like faded out for me towards the end. Like I didn't appreciate as much of the routines about like his love of snacks or his annoyance with his mom. Like it kind of faded out for me around that time. But I mean, a lot of the toilet humor I found really funny. You know, <laughs> like the way he would set up, like the way he was like gonna shit his pants and stuff was like, yeah, was was pretty funny. You know, and just like this driving the of, Italian countryside and right kilometer crawl. or or when the uh the driver was like or the gas station or no it was the rent-a-car but guy was like coming out like making fun of him yeah that was that's really great (laughs) uh loved all that um 
you know, I think some of the pieces that didn't really hit for me as much were when he was like talking about like breakups, uh, you know, with mm. his like long term girlfriend before he met his wife. Seemed pretty that sad. Stuff? That one breakup yeah. was pretty tough. It, for real and i just was like man this is like not fun to listen to and i don't i don't know if the, any of the punchlines really like saved that for me so i don't know it, like i said it was hit or miss but i think overall just like he, he's a really funny guy really talented um someone that seems to be a really liked creator in hollywood so i think we're gonna yeah. be seeing him a lot more yeah totally I, it was kind of funny where like he would almost like it was definitely not off script but it would like come across as off script where he'd like go into like like demon mode for a second like hide behind the <laughs> stool and be like af- laughing at his yeah. own joke and be like you can't see me you know it's like that's where like kind of like the manicness of like like big mouth kind of comes out i suppose but like mm-hmm. yeah you know like I-, I don't think anyone again like he he's he's not the one he's not ripping ripping specials off every two years you know he's right. more or less that's not his thing so to hear uh nick girl just kind of kind of tell, tell be funny for a little bit you know i was like okay cool like i, I don't have high expectations for this yeah and that uh, i think you said it right because i didn't go in being like this is going to be the best stand-up i watch all year i was like oh let's see what, what nick kroll's got and i thought he i thought he was pretty great so overall definitely would recommend checking that out but let's switch gears over to another special saying a special that just dropped this past weekend hasan minaj the morning show Hassan Minaj. No, no. The Daily Show, Hassan Minaj. No, no, no. <laughs> the Patriot Act, Hassan Minaj. That, I think yes. I think that's really who we got, right? It was this Correct. was like Hassan Minaj doing a live version of the Patriot Act that's more like meditative on his own life. And that mm-hmm. I think really worked. I, I found this to be a really like compelling special. I thought really interesting. I liked him splicing in the clips. And overall I was like, yeah, hey, I, I like him. I don't know if I find him to be like the funniest comic out there. But I think his social commentary and his perspective as an Indian comic is... Oh, no, sorry. Pakistani comic is really, really great. Mm. Yeah, I agree. This is his... Hassan's second special, second Netflix special, The King's Jester. First since 2017. Been a little while since 2017. Of course, the Patriot Act uh, came and went. And Hassan has become much more famous. And, I mean, good for him, right? Like, rising up from being a Daily Show correspondent to hosting the White House Correspondents' Dinner to then getting his own Netflix series and being, I think, the most successful person doing something that has largely been unsuccessful on streaming, which is like the talk show weekly release variety format. Like, that hasn't really worked on streaming and they're not really trying as much anymore. And of course, Patriot Act did get canceled after, I think, like four, 30, 40 episodes, whatever it was. But like, he definitely made his mark doing that and to then more or less bring that into his comedy as he said powerpoint comedy as he called it like kind of doing that uh kind of cool right like you had this very visually distinct set stage that he was a part of for this special like it wasn't just him standing in the on a normal theater stage and like it kind of like fit that vibe of there being this like video screen behind him that would be perfectly in sync with as were his points as he got to them and like it's obviously like the king's jester is like super super written and choreographed right and you know like you said is Hassan the funniest guy no not necessarily but like i'm almost like not necessarily like watching him to laugh per se you know it's almost like when we just watch rothaniel from gerard it's like mm. nah this is like this is like this is kind of a different 
it's like technically a comedy special, but this is just Hassan just kind of musing, in this case, on it, like, like, like Gerard in, in a certain sense, musing on himself and directly, like what he's experienced recently and how he feels about that. And this kind of intersplicing some jokes, some one-liners into that. You know, I think uh, Hassan's view of, you know, Southeast Asian culture and how that interfaces with America is always pretty funny to hear. You know, I I did like his jokes about uh, DOs versus MDs in terms of like straight up (laughs) doctor humor, definitely playing to the room there a little bit. But I I like a specific joke for sure. And yeah, you know, I think does Hassan like wow you with his like social commentary i don't think he does either like it's not like he's like super granular super like uh informative on stuff necessarily too like yeah you might not know something he's telling you but like it's not like he's super deep in the weeds either it's just like the package like he's just really charismatic and really good at delivering these scripts delivering these points he's come up with and that's what makes him so compelling it's like I just like, like listening to him explain something to me and then make me laugh in a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to clean it up. I had it right the first time. He is Indian. And I, I should have remembered with the joke where he was talking about Kumail and how Kumail getting so ripped, like ruined yeah. it for everybody. He's like, yeah. that's why I like Aziz. He's just eating pasta and running around the Italian countryside. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. On Patriot Act, he was like not supportive of Modi and like a yeah. fellow indian was giving him shit for it that was pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) and then he came and wanted to take a picture with him oh man that was really great um yeah i i agree with you you know i i really liked the choreography of this like how sometimes he would like lay down and the camera would come from above and like zoom in on his face uh sometimes i would show him like watching the videos that he's doing like the powerpoints he's doing which i thought was pretty cool touch um and yeah I, i thought some of the humor was really like funny to think about when he was talking about the the doctor humor and he's like i hope it's not this like certain doctor from sacramento and then it is that doctor he's like how did you how are you a licensed doctor and he's like i don't even know bro (laughs) (laughs) bro you're wearing jordans right now (laughs) so good um i also liked you know you get a little bit of that patriot act daily show humor when he he talks about the saudis and he has Jared Kushner in the room when he's doing his. Was that the White uh, White House Correspondence Dinner? Was that what no, it was? he said that was like a Time One Hundred like toast yeah, yeah. or something, a That's dinner, right. and he was like doing a toast or something, and he ad libbed his way into that when he noticed Kushner walk in. Basically, yeah. I just thought that was like a really like poignant and like right in his wheelhouse type of thing. So I really enjoyed that. I don't know. I think I think we we kind of summed it up well. Where you know he's never going to be the comic that i'm like ah i need to like turn my brain off just get a laugh like he's always gonna try to bring you a little bit of the commentary he's a little ridiculous and i think overall just like super polished and like a showman mm-hmm. so it's it's fun to watch him yeah you know i liked how he would bring in like his relationship with his wife and like mm-hmm. bring in his family into that i don't know if like because he would obviously like the way you would, like structure the specials you would like, contrast where he's at his career with how that was affecting things back home. And like, I don't know if it totally like lands, like the, the gravity of his mistakes or crossing the lines. Like, I don't know, man, like you got some anthrax in the mail, maybe, but like, so, so does anyone who 
says shit about people. Like I, I don't, I don't know if there was a line that Hassan was really crossing. He's a fucking comedian, you know. Yeah. I liked the joke with the lawyer about the jurisprudence yeah. <laughs> of jokes. That was well done. That was great. You know how he um, thinks his lawyer is cool now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, early on, when he talks about adopting a white baby and everything with his like, you know, his daughter's school or whatever, like that, that was pretty fun. But like, mm-hmm. you know, saying he wants to be the ditty of comedy, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but like, him like being obsessed with like clout and likes and everything on social media. I don't know if that really like landed as well for me either. Like, in terms of like how that was like stri- striking like a wedge with his relationship with his wife. Like, I didn't quite pick up on that as much and like i don't know like i feel like he almost was trying to bring it like too close to home where i almost i'd appreciate if he really just kept it more patriot acty i don't know um but it was still really well scripted and had a nice pace to it and uh he is really good at this style of thing without that much is clear yeah you know i <laughs> i liked when he brought up the daily show and he mentioned trevor noah who we haven't talked about at all but like leaving the daily show dating yeah. Dua Lipa, I mean, the guy's just like, I don't know. Like he, yeah, he's in a great, great spot in his life. But um, I was just thinking about like, yeah, I don't I don't know if they have a replacement lined up for Trevor Noah yet. I don't Nothing think they public. do. I would be I would wouldn't hate it if they offered it to Hassan, but I doubt he would he would take it. You know, just probably offer it to out. Ronnie Chang, who's still on the Daily Show. That'd be smart. But do you think he's going to take it? I feel like he's no, nope, I don't that. think so. Yeah. yeah. So Hassan's past that for sure. And I think I mean. Corden's retiring too. Like late late night is definitely changing. And like, yeah. what's next for Hassan? Right, you know, Patriot Act had a short but bright life, and he just released his second special. Now, what's he gonna do? You know, he's he was on the morning show season two as your <laughs> reference in a small role. I can't imagine that's his main focus these days. Who can say? Um, but you know, I think he definitely has a knack for like certain form of storytelling right i think really early on the way he tied in like his muslim experience growing up to like post 9-11 america where he got profiled and was very in very much at risk of perhaps being forced into giving a false confession of some kind or being arrested uh uh for something he obviously didn't do and like that was like really poignant uh material right and he would tie that into other people that actually did experience that and how he like felt super close to that and saying how like his first bit of comedy saved his life. It was like that. We didn't expect to see that. Right. Or hear that. Yeah. Um, I thought that was he really, is really well done. He is really good at, at finding humor in, in uh, less humorous material. Right. Mm-hmm. But I am curious to see what exactly he's up to next. I really don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, he feels like he has a lot of options. So I'm sure whatever he chooses to do, he'll do well. Um, That's going to do it for us for comedy, though. We're going to switch gears and keep it moving to the big screen where Amsterdam finally dropped. And Dave, I say finally because I have to say I had a lot of anticipation for this movie. You get David O. Russell, um, who I think people probably know. But I, I mean, I Heart Huckabee is probably the biggest one that he's done. But just kind of what was the mo- most recent one? I'm forgetting. American uh, Hustle. Well, no. It's uh, a nice playbook. Joy was the last one seven years ago, 2015. And he had made a lot of noise in the 2010s, right? The yeah. Fighter. A lot of accolades. That's the one I was thinking of. Then Silver Lang's playbook. Then American Hustle. Three <laughs> Best Director nominations in a row for David O. Russell. And then Joy. 
you know, those later later three, Jennifer Lawrence, three Oscar nominations, including the win, Silver Lines Playbook. And then he stopped making movies, you know, and didn't really do anything. Seven years later, here's Amsterdam, a film that was previously known as Canterbury Glass, and before that was untitled David O. Russell film for a while. Um, been a minute. You mentioned I Heart Huckabee's Three Kings. Like, he's had a pretty storied career, even if it's been a bit up and down. And I think since then, obviously a lot of anticipation for this film because the cast is just vast and it had been such a long wait from him given his track record. But he also has really come under fire a lot of bit for his actions on set mm-hmm. um, and, and just in his personal life. And he seems to be a much more controversial figure uh, out in the open. That is until uh, unlike he was, you know, when he was last making movies. So kind of interesting to interrogate one of his films now especially because despite the anticipation that we both had for this film it definitely doesn't uh meet those high expectations that would follow a ensemble cast from a big time director yeah so the the fighter was the movie i was thinking of but you know the last time him and christian bale worked together was the fighter if i'm if mm-hmm. I'm reading this right. And Correct. now you get, you get Christian Bell back, but you also get Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joyce, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, uh, Timothy Oliphant, Taylor Swift. Like, you have so many big names here. This movie, it, in a lot of ways, when I think we first talked about it, almost felt like it was too big to fail, in a sense. But this movie feels like a total failure. Not only does it feel, like, a bit meandering, and, like kind of aimless at times but just like confusing i think and i i, I by the end I, th- I think the ending is okay but like i don't really know if i totally got what the movie was trying to say a lot of the time and um just kind of felt felt like a mess i guess the best way to put it what was your take on it right and also russell isn't exactly the best messenger anymore for uh a more top level like comment on how things impact society like i wasn't expecting amsterdam the film to be directly referencing slash adapting like real life history the business plot Mm -hmm. as it were to overthrow fdr um yeah it's i think to me it's like it's not as comedic as you'd hope despite kind of suggesting it is and it also isn't as like dramatically interesting from the like whodunit side of things like right off the bat uh taylor swift's character gets murdered by a hitman tim fialafan and they're like what's what why what's why what's the deal with this and why are they trying to frame john david washington and christian bale what's going on here right and then we're off to the races but like it, it doesn't really have that like dramatic pulse that you'd expect you're kind of just going through the scenes and Am I disliking those scenes? Not necessarily, right? Like our core trio, Bale, Washington, and Margot Robbie. They're great. Hard to beat that. You know, like we're, we're talking about like true talents here. And I really enjoyed them. Great to see Margot Robbie um, in a you know, pretty sizable role here. I thought she was great. Um, Bale, a bit more understated uh, per- personality to his character. Still kind of a big performance as we expect from Christian Bale, but... Uh, a bit different from Gore the God Butcher, obviously. <laughs> uh, 
and John David Washington, kind of reminiscent of some of his more recent roles. He just has a suaveness to yeah. his presence as an actor that we like a lot. But yeah, I mean, like, I think there's there's a lot of plot in this movie because you're really rolling through plot as you're introducing characters. Many of them are just glorified cameos or one scene, uh, two scene performances. But like, because we're rolling through this plot, the plot has to, I think, be compelling to kind of drive the movie. And it's just the plot is not a good enough engine for the movie. It's really meandering, kind of unsatisfying story that it leaves you a bit wanting. Again, given the high expectations you associate with this cast, and like the, the cast is doing well. You know, like mm-hmm. seeing Annie Taylor Joy and Margaret Robbie kind of like spar verbally. It's like, oh, great. You know, I just wish, <laughs> wish they were doing something a little more interesting. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned Bale and how, like, I, I think his performance is great. You can pretty much give Christian Bale anything and he's going to be watchable. But near the end of the movie, they make this choice, right? So he's already kind of this, like, you see them in the flashback in Amsterdam and all three of them are, like, just kind of, like, fun-loving, having a great time, and they're, they're coming back together years later by chance, quote-unquote. Um, and they're all kind of worn down by, by life in different ways. And Bale is probably the one who I would say like drives the, the plot of the movie the most, you know, he's kind of the storyteller. He's the one who's um, in, in the most scenes, but at the end when Robert De Niro um, gives like his speech to the, the whatever the veterans uh, gathering that they had was, he gets shot in the leg and then he it takes he had already taken this like eye drop that was like this like basically like numbing like medication and he doesn't talk for the last for like the biggest scene in the movie which is like fine i guess like you you didn't really need him because i mean you have a room of uh you know uh, you have all the main characters there sorry john david washington margot robbie uh robert de niro michael shannon rami malik like they're all sparring so you didn't really need him but it's like Man, he's been the one for the whole movie. This is like quite the choice to just like silence him here. You do kind of get like a in his head, like flash forward type look, but just didn't really like make sense to me. And it, I just felt like there were choices like that all throughout the movie. Like even the beginning, you know, you have Taylor Swift get killed and then they immediately flash back to Amsterdam to explain this. And I was like, why? Why didn't you put this first? Like, I, I'm so confused. I was confused yeah. for like five minutes. Like where? What? What's happening? And then like I understood, but that didn't make much sense to me. Um, it also felt like you kind of had these random people. And I know that there was an air of mystery to this, but you had these like random duos, right? You have Michael Shannon and uh, Mike Myers, Mike Myers together. Right. And they're, they're kind of and CIA spies in right. disguise kind of thing. And, and then you have Rami Malek and Anya Teller Joy and you have Chris Rock. And um, I think I can't remember if he had a partner or not, but you no, just kind of had like these random pieces and it, it, it all just felt non-cohesive. And I was like, man, I, I just don't don't know if this jumping around makes sense. And I got to be honest, the storyline with Bale and his wife and her parents and uh, Irma played by Zoe Saldana. Thankless role for Zoe Saldana, first of mm-hmm. all, like what a what a waste. Give her more to do. But then like Bale, like with his like marriage, I just like di- didn't really like that plot much or that part of it. So. Yeah, I don't know. A, a, a lot I just didn't like. Yeah, well, I, it's kind of frustrating because like you have this core trio, and like you said, we start off with like getting setting up the Who Done It and killing Taylor Swift, and then we flash back, and it's like 
actually the flashback and like learning about the genesis of this trio is just the most interesting stuff going on because those three have good chemistry and that's just more fun to be with and it's like the plot's like besides the point so i think it's it's just a bit ill-conceived um at the end of the day i did appreciate seeing uh ed begley jr as bill meekins the the senator yeah uh, because that's just cliff main from better call Saul to me (laughs) i was like oh my guy Nice to see you working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was great. I I also gotta say I did like De Niro in this. Um, I I feel like every time I've seen him recently, he's just been like a goofy old guy. So to see him playing like a serious old guy was kind of nice. Mm. Um, and I, I felt like he gave probably the best performance I've seen him do in quite a while. So enjoyed that for sure. But any last thoughts? You ready to move on from this? Yeah, just you talk about a talk about a big disappointment after a big lead up. Also, this movie had a very unsuccessful opening weekend at the box office, and this movie was expensive. This is an $80 million budget, apparently. So this is uh, going in the bomb ledger uh, for sure for Fox. So tough one. Well, Dave, we're on to Blonde. Netflix dropped this back uh, end of September. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yet, but this is the highly lauded highly anticipated biopic of Marilyn Monroe starring Anna Darmus that received I believe she received like a nine ten minute standing ovation at whatever the film festival was con I think yeah I think so premiered. um but I think that you know similar to Amsterdam critically getting panned in a lot of places and so I was curious because I that, to me this felt almost like a, a movie that couldn't miss in a way, you know, Anadarmus. We are big fans of Anadarmus here. Um, mm. I, I, I was like, this is going to be a great look for her. It's going to be interesting to be going through this history. Obviously there's going to be some difficult moments, but man, I, I left and I just was like, I don't, I feel like, like it, this movie was really missing something. And it kind of just left this like bitter taste in my mouth while I think it was still really well done. Like I just didn't enjoy the movie watching experience is very brutal what about you i wouldn't necessarily say it's well done it's well made yeah for sure and uh blonde actually premiered venice uh not can so a little more recent um yeah i mean there was so much anticipation for this right because marilyn monroe to this day you know gosh how many years after her death 50 years 60 years after her death 60 something years after her death Almost almost 60 yeah uh, still a huge place in our culture, like you know, iconography, just a big piece of Americana, and to see like a biopic, and there's been Maryland biopics in various forms before, but like to get like a biopic starring one of our most in demand, uh, easy to watch performers in Odd Armas, the first Andrew Dominic feature film in ten years since Killing Them Softly came out in 2012. So yeah, it's a really tantalizing prospect, and you know, I think Dominic had to this point had a pretty strong reputation reputation as a more eccentric or uh, you know in inactive filmmaker basically. Where when he directed two episodes of Mindhunter season two on Netflix, everyone's like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Mm-hmm. And then like it comes out, he's going to make Blonde, something he'd wanted to do for some time. It's like, oh, wow, this sounds really good. And we've been talking about Blonde for a while because, like, we had known about it for so long with Anna attached. 
and there's this whole big kerfluffle about it getting an NC-17 rating officially, right? And mm-hmm. to be honest, I seemed kind of overblown. This seemed like it was perfectly fine as a radar movie to me. Uh, you know, it's there's nudity, there's some violence, but I don't see how it crossed the line there at all. It seemed a bit uh, performative on Dominic's part. But yeah, I think the issue of Blonde and the reason that it's been getting a very polarized to negative reception is that it is a punishing watch and you know i think richard Brody described it as Marilyn Mon- monroe's passion of the christ like it, it is a brutal thing to watch not fun to watch and i think most disappointingly despite some true craft to the filmmaking that you expect from you know someone with dominic's eye there's just not a lot under the hood of this screenplay like it is really only about showing Marilyn monroe's trauma and it has like this movie has no other point of view, and not that it has to be historically accurate. I don't care about that. It's not presenting itself as a documentary. That's fine, but it just seems a bit short sighted to only show Marilyn Monroe being brutalized and having a tough time through her career. Like I just don't really know what the goals of this film were supposed to be, and it came across to me as honestly quite one note and it's just a really punishing watch you know once you get to two hours and 40 minutes and it finally ends yeah you know it starts right off the bat as brutal like the all the stuff with julianne nicholson and the abuse of Marilyn as a child um is just really really tough to watch and like unsettling and up and heartbreaking and uh from there you know <laughs> the movie like had this this big time jump after Marilyn's dropped off at a um state uh like ward of the she's become the ward of the state at a foster home and the the jump is so like big that but you see her like acting in, in in these actor circles and she's going for a tryout and you're like oh okay here we go and immediately she gets raped right by a studio executive and it's just yeah. like within the first like 25 minutes you see Close basically to... sorry uh, it's, ju- just... it's suge- suggesting it's david uh zanuck i think it is uh one of the more out in the open casting couch guys at the time yeah uh yeah i think it was uh daryl zanuck. zanuck sorry yeah yeah um but you you see a child almost get uh drowned to death and then a rape and it's just like this yeah. is this you're, you're in for a ride because there's another two hours and 10 minutes to go so That's it's already up. really really rough um i mean she is just brutalized by every single man in in this uh in pretty much every single way except for i guess arthur miller right arthur miller adrian brody is like the one like sweet person in her life mm-hmm. um i mean joe, less accurate yeah your guy joe dimaggio which i think this is actually like kind of based in some some yeah reporting is pretty pretty terrible in this uh Yep. I mean, they were only married like less than a year. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think just overall, it's like a really unsettling movie. And it's it's even unsettling just in in terms of like the time you spend with her on her own. And like even when she's with like Arthur Miller, like the way she like calls all of her like love interest daddy all the time. And like the way they play play up the daddy issues is like so like unsettling. It's really, really uncomfortable. Yeah, well, this is a adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates, like, pseudo 
yeah, biographical fiction book of like 20 years ago. And, you know, the, giving her like a, fa- a miss her father complex about her unknown father seemed to have been a creation. And it's like, you, I just don't think you were, you weren't serving Marilyn Monroe as a character in this film. She doesn't have any agency. Yeah. Even when she's not in the act of being abused in some way, you're only showing her at her most, at her lowest, really. And it is a bit, I think it's just a bit limiting because mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe, quite famously, was an intelligent person who had thoughts about a lot of stuff and also was quite uh, direct in dictating her career and what she would let people do to her and stuff like that, especially once her career advanced. She started and, her own production company. Yeah, <laughs> like, like a female in the 1960s. Like, like they, they barely. They like don't they don't even like give it any credit, even though it's in the movie. But like she was studying acting in the heart of New York City. That's how she meets Arthur Miller. Like she was serious about what she did. Mm-hmm. And the movie just doesn't give a shit about that. It just wants to sh- get her to the next time that she gets fucking traumatized. You know, it's just I just don't like how unintelligent like the storytelling came across. Right. And then there's just some really off-putting shit. Like, I don't need, like, five stills of, like, a baby in the womb. Really abstract shit. And then, like... I hated that. Completely lost me when she's having a conversation with her unborn kid. Like, the the movie's point of view on abortion is insane. Whether you are a pro- or anti-abortion person, like, the fact that any of that was in the movie at all, I think, is ridiculous. Yeah. It was it was uh, really tough, and especially like when they show the uh, her having the abortion. Not only oh do God, they yeah. like they they frame it as she changes her mind at the last second and is forced to go through with it, which in of itself is brutal. But like showing them actually like cutting into the the uterus with the scalpel was just like completely like uh, unsettling. Um, and you know you you do get a few moments where you get to see her like having some fun, right? You like you see her with Cass. Chaplin, Eddie, and Eddie Robinson, and like right. really supposedly her like sexual awakening is what they're kind of insinuating, yeah. and like also fabricated completely, <laughs> completely fabricated. You know, it, there there is like some record of her having a relationship with Cass Chaplin um, briefly, and then apparently like that ended because she was sleeping with his brother, which is actually kind of like a funny story. Would have been yeah, that would have been better to see, too. honestly. Yeah, but like <laughs> this like threesome or the this triangle is like just totally fictionalized and then they're kind of played up as like these villains that like you know are like trying to exploit their time with her for like money from joe dimaggio which i just thought was like completely like ridiculous uh i mean maybe but like i don't know it just seemed really out right. there and then the next time you kind of get to see her like having fun right is like maybe on some of the the sets where she's like kind of doing her thing but like the the scene where they blow up the skirt i forgot what movie that's from but like that's a really uh, just like disgusting portrayal of that, you know, this iconic moment in, in film that, and then right. they kind of have these guys like ogling at her yeah. when she's dressed. Billy, up that's that. true. Billy Wilder made it like an open set, which is yeah. obviously Ridiculous. would not fly today, obviously. And then like the next time you see her, it's like, she's so traumatized that she's like on set. And I think that's a uh, gentleman preferred blondes where she's wearing the, the pink. Mm-hmm. Right. And yep she just is like totally losing it, like scratching her face and difficult to work with. And by all accounts, she was difficult to work with, but you go back to like 
where is this like a is this supposed to be like a love letter to Marilyn Monroe like or is this supposed to be like wow look how horrible her life was like what am I supposed to be taking away from this movie I, I don't really know what the messaging is in a lot of this I agree yeah I mean in a sense it's kind of interesting to think about it as the third and hopefully final version of this kind of like all biopics we've gotten lately with Pablo Lorraine's Spencer and Jackie of course, about uh, Princess Diana with Kristen Stewart last year, and then a few years back, Jackie Kennedy from Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of similar things, but Blonde just takes it way too much to the extreme, and I think it just kind of beats you over the head with ultimately how simplistic its view of the subject matter is as a movie. It's, it's just really disappointing, really disappointing in Dominic. Like, he has not acquitted himself well in the press, too, as he's talked about this film while promoting it. Like, it's just really turns you off and definitely feel bad for Anna because like, I think she's, she does pretty good. You know, there's a whole thing about like the accent and like, I think she's quite convincing and just as a performer, as people know, she's just very, uh, uh, you know, she catches the screen, you know, she's a really talented performer and unfortunately she just doesn't really have good material in this movie. Not really her fault. Man. Uh, if you had told me like beginning of the year we were going to be talking about these two movies on the same weekend and we were going to be disappointed by both uh i would have been really surprised and uh unfortunately that's kind of where we're at both these totally flopped yeah i mean i was expecting blonde to be really be something i wasn't expecting it to be similar to josh trank's capone but Mm. that's what i thought of when i was watching it I wouldn't have put it to that level, but it, it was definitely... Uh, <laughs> There's more craft behind it yes. from a filmmaking perspective. And a, and a better like main performance, I'd say. Yeah. But, but man, man, tough. Tough, tough, tough. Anyways, I think that's going to wrap it up this week. Dave, what do we got for next week? Next week, very exciting. The conclusion of Lord of the Rings. The Rings of Power, season one. Very exciting to talk about that. Uh, also, some movies are starting to come out with award season. Uh, the Kate Blanchett vehicle tar from todd field which is getting a lot of love the ruben ostland award winner triangle of sadness of course marvel's she hulk is ending uh and then some music from the 1975 and little baby and after a long wait mia is releasing an album very exciting and arctic monkeys dog no that's not this that's not next weekend is, is, that, is that the following weekend is that going head to head taylor swift correct it is Oh fuck! Mm-hmm. They're they're not Taylor Swift, Arctic Monkeys, and Carly Rae Jepsen on October twenty wow. first. It's a good weekend. That's, yeah, I can't wait for that. But we have some good stuff to be talk about next week. So hit that subscribe on youtubecom slash Um and follow us on Twitter at nostalgia pod, and you can follow the link tree for any way to follow us there. Catch you next week. Yeah.